This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Bible, if you would turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 7. If you have the uh, Bible app, the Version Bible app, there is an event set up in there. It's in your bulletin, actually. If you scan that little code or if you want to search for events, uh, you can find that. All of my notes are there uh, for you to follow along with if that's your thing. If not, grab a notebook and a piece of paper or whatever and a pen and maybe write something down. I don't know. I believe that this word today, uh, it's ministered to my heart. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, I like the way the King James Version says it, out of his belly, out of his heart, the innermost part of the, the body is what he's talking about, will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke this, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he delivers this thought if you believe in me, out of your heart, out of your belly, out of the innermost part, waters are going to flow. And the Word says that he is speaking of the Holy Spirit that these people have yet to receive. He's still here. He's not been glorified. He's not died and risen from the grave. Therefore, the Holy Spirit has yet to come. I told you that I thought we were ending the Pentecostal series, the Pentecost series, some weeks back. And I think we did, but I can't get away from this thought and this uh, ministry, this work of the Holy Spirit. So this word today is still revolving and still completely engulfed in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I've entitled this Break the Dam. Break the Dam. In 1996, the U.S. Uh, Olympic Committee, they changed history. They did something great. In Polk County, Tennessee, the Ocoee River uh, winds through those mountains and in 1996, we held the, the World Olympics, the Summer Olympic Games here on our turf, and that river was used for the canoe and uh, kayak slalom competitions. The reason we broke history was because it's the first, and to my knowledge, still the only, I'm not positive of that, but it absolutely was the first natural river to ever be used for an Olympic competition. They went in, and this process started early on. It took them uh, several years to complete, but they went in, and they dried out this river, and they took 60 tons of natural um, native rock, and they concreted them in place to make the perfect river so that when they opened up the dam, they would have the perfect rapids down this 500-meter stretch. Okay? It was a, a changing uh, thing. Can you, can you show that dam for me real quick, Brother Carter? All of that's controlled by this dam. This is Ocoee Dam number three. There are three different dams that uh, are through the Ocoee, 
number one is that obviously the upper and the top, it flows down to number two. Uh, there is a stretch of awesome whitewater rafting from dam two to three. And then from down dam number three on down the river is where the Olympic Games took place. So all of this work went into uh, making sure this river is perfected. They built a huge Akoe Whitewater Center on top of the mountain. You can look, you can Google that and find it. It's an awesome place uh, during the the off-season, not even really the off-season, just the normal time of year. It's a pretty dead place right now. There's not a whole lot that takes place there since the Olympics were there. But it's an interesting place. But this dam had to be... It was put in place in, in the 1940s, and this dam was built during World War II for a purpose. But all of the water that made the Olympics possible, all of the water that flowed through this river that allowed these guys to get on and compete is controlled, is managed, is operated by this dam. In John chapter 4, Jesus is, uh, he, they, they, the people have heard Jesus is out in Judea. He said, we got to go. So he says, we're going to head to Galilee. We're going to head to uh, Galilee. We're going to get through. And the Bible says that Jesus went through Samaria to get to Galilee. Don't over-spiritualize the fact that Jesus went to Samaria. It's easy if you're anything like me. I don't know, maybe you're not. Hopefully you're not. If you're anything like me, you're looking for a purpose for everything. We're playing a game of Monopoly with my mom and dad yesterday, and my dad's all nice and sweet to Micah about something, and it turns right around, and he's landed on her spot, and he owes her rent. And my mom's like, do you have a motive for everything you do? I look for a motive. I look for something in everything, especially Scripture. Because chances are you can find something in everything in Scripture. But realistically, this path, this journey from Judea to Galilee, it made sense that they would have gone through Samaria. The Bible said he had to go through Samaria. It literally just is the fact that he had to go through Samaria. He was on his ordinary journey. He was on his way, going from one place to another. He was tired. He was wore out. He shows up, and it's about a 40-mile journey, approximately a 40-mile journey from where he started to where he's at now. He's been walking a day and a half, traveling a day and a half, and he gets there, and the Bible says he's wearied. I appreciate the fact that Jesus got wearied. I don't know about you. Maybe you've not been tired. Maybe you've not been wearied. I have been wearied. Not only physically beat down, broken down, wore slam out, but, but spiritually, emotionally, I found myself wearied, right? So I appreciate the fact that Jesus, the, the God that saved me, the God that, that died on a cross for me, is enough like me or I'm enough like him that I can experience the same thing that he experienced in the fact that he was 100% man to be wearied. So he's wearied, so he sits down on the well, and I'm sure just like any of us would do after traveling this 40-mile journey for a day and a half, and he looks at his lady, he says, hey, give me a drink. It's just an ordinary situation. Everything is purposed by God. There's no doubt. There's no question. You showing up the way you took to get here, everything that we do in life is orchestrated and it's ordained by God. You with me? But realistically, 
You getting up tomorrow morning, getting out of the bed, going and getting your shower, Lord, hope you get a shower, brushing your teeth. Even though that's purpose and ordained by God, it's second nature to you, and you're never going to think about it being ordained or orchestrated by God, correct? I have to think, when I studied this, I saw it in a different light than the way that I've seen it before. I don't, I don't think, obviously this was a setup. There's no doubt it was a setup. We know that. I'm not convinced, this is not Bible, this is Mitchell for just a moment. I'm not convinced Jesus really knew of the setup. Jesus knew everything. He was all-knowing. But in this moment, he's man. He's tired. He's weary. I'm not convinced that Jesus really knew by him passing through, he had to go to Samaria. I'm not really convinced this was a, okay, the people are coming. I've got to leave. What's the best path for me to take to come across somebody whose life needs to be changed? I can change her life. I can, that's where I'm going to go. I don't believe it was a calculated process like that. I could be wrong, and if I am, you can correct me, and we'll talk about it later. I don't believe you know either because the Bible doesn't say so. I personally believe this was an example for us of Jesus walking through an everyday, ordinary situation and allowing God to use him to touch a person's life. He's on a journey, he's tired, he's wore out to the point that John said he's wearied. That could have been left out. John didn't have to include that in the gospel. He said, Jesus was wearied. He's tired. So he sat down by the well and said, hey, can you give me a drink? I don't personally think that's any more than him saying, hey, I'm really hot. You got a bottle of water? That didn't make sense. She was a Samaritan lady, and it didn't make sense for Jesus to be communicating with her as the background differences, the cultural differences that they had. And so her first little flag goes up. Who do you think I am to give you a drink? How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She didn't, uh, maybe we don't understand the power that was within that statement. The Jewish rabbi of this day, of this time, of this culture would have rather thirst than ask this lady for a cup of water. That's strong. And if you think real hard, chances are you can think of somebody, Lord have mercy if it's you, somebody that would rather physically suffer, they would rather struggle themselves than ask for help, than to reach out for somebody and, and ask Lord forbid if it's somebody we don't know or somebody that's different, somebody don't look like us, somebody that's not acting like us, somebody that obviously there's cultural differences in. We all know somebody. If not, we'll pray later because if you don't know somebody, that's not good. And she's kind of taken back for just a second, but wait, who do you think? Why are you asking me for a drink? And I believe Jesus had two choices in that moment. Because you follow my story for a second and think of the mindset of Jesus going through this ordinary situation and allowing God to use him to transform this lady's life. 
he had a decision to say, does it matter? Just give me something to drink. I really don't care. Give me something to drink. I'm thirsty. Or, in tune with the Holy Spirit, he answered in verse 10, and he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He spoke a powerful bunch of wisdom in that little moment. How many of us in our ordinary regular routine would have slowed down for just a second to see that obviously he had already figured out there's something in this lady's life that's not right because if she was already like him she just said yes sir here's you a drink we can identify with people that are of like faith most of the time i'm not saying we can identify with all proclaiming christians I'm saying we can identify with people that are of like faith, that are Jesus-loving, in a relationship with Jesus kind of people. If you love Jesus, you typically recognize people that love Jesus. We were in a restaurant one day this week, and this lady came in, and she was wired. I don't know how many Red Bulls she had had or them little drinks, rock stars like Rebecca drinks on a Sunday morning. I don't know what she had had. But she walks up in this restaurant, and she is like 90 miles an hour from zero to 100 all of a sudden in like 15 seconds. And this lady compliments on her shirt. Oh, you have a nice shirt. Oh, you want to touch it? If this was so filled with this, like, you want to touch it? I mean, it's like, what? Where'd you come from? And the lady's like, yeah, sure. Oh, I'd have never thought it was that soft. Oh, I got it from So she leaves. <laughs> and the girl, the waitress, turned around and said, why is she so happy? I don't know what kind of happy pill she's got, but I want some. Micah said, I bet she loves Jesus. I said, I just kind of sat back in my chair a minute. I reckon she does, darling. You can identify people that love Jesus. Obviously, this lady had no idea who Jesus was. She had never met him. She had no relationship with Jesus. Because when you've got a relationship with Jesus, it really doesn't matter who it is asking for a cup of water. You give them a cup of water. When you have a relationship with Jesus, it really don't matter. If you've got resource, the lady's sitting by a well. It ain't like she ain't got cash in her pocket. It's not like she don't have the resources to make this happen. She's sitting by the well drawing up water. And when you know Jesus, you have no issue using that resource to give it to him. You have no issue using that resource to give it to anybody that needs it. She didn't know him. And recognizing that, he said, if you knew the gift of God, when I asked you for a drink, you actually would have twisted that around and asked me for one. And in verse 11, the lady says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. I'll just be honest with you. 
I'll talk about my pity parties because I don't want to talk about yours. It sounds like my sorry excuse to the Lord when I'm throwing myself a pity party about a place that I'm at, this thing he's asking of me, this thing that I can't accomplish, whatever it is. Lord, you have nothing to draw from that well from. That well is deep. You can't give me what I need. You can't give me what I want. You've asked me to do this. I don't have the guts, and you can't give them to me. That well's too deep. You don't even have a bucket. First of all, it's just a, this a crazy thought because do you realize the wells dug in the ground he created. And then she goes on and starts talking about the well. This well's been here forever and ever. Jacob so I got this well and he dug it and it's been here and uh, it's been in our you're telling me that you can give me water that's better than what's in this well? You don't know this well. But realistically, don't we draw from that well that's known to us so many times? Don't we always go back for that good, cold, clean, crisp water? We've got mess in our life. We've got relationships. We've got what, failures and disappointments. We've got insecurities. That We've got something that happened to us 15 years ago that we go back to that same well and we pull up water from it every time because it's cold, refreshing. It satisfies us in the moment. Mmm, that's good on this hot day. But along with the water, we're pulling up every bit of junk from the bottom of that well that's been there for umpteen hundred years from when Jacob put it there in the first place. I don't need my babies to have the mess that was put down deep in the well years ago, generations before me, sin upon sin that took place by people that did not know Jesus in my life. I don't need that to come up and raise up for me to give my babies. Maybe you do. I don't know. I'm not letting the things from the past come up so that I can serve them in a clear drinking glass to my babies and say, here, this is good. Lady, that well you're drawing from, that water you get, you have to come back time after time after time. This lady's so messed up. She's showing up when there ain't nobody else at the well. She's showing, she, she is so ashamed. She is so hurt, so hopeless, so lost. That she shows up when nobody else can look at her. There was supposed to be nobody there the day Jesus shows up. The ladies had already come and gone for the morning routine. They were coming back in the afternoon. She's there in the middle of the day. Hiding. Withdrawing. He said, you got to keep coming back for your water. He said, but that water that I can give you, whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. And in verse 14, he said, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give never thirsts, but the water that I give will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. 
moving water. The water in that well is still. It's there for the taking. But it's not a flowing river of water. She says, oh, give me this water, sir. Give it to me that I may not thirst or may not have to come here to draw. I believe that the lady almost wanted an excuse not to show back up at the well because she's ashamed to show up there in the first place. Oh, this is a way out. This is a way. I don't have to come back here anymore. Give me this water. That way I don't have to show my face anymore. I don't have to come back anymore. And this is where we miss it so many times. And this is where this takes a twist. Because Jesus, in tune with the Spirit of God, through this conversation that has taken place, this ordinary give me a bottle of water conversation, realizes that this lady needs to know God knows where she's at and knows what she's been through. He said, go home and get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've already had a lot of husbands, and the man you're living with is not your husband either. I, I, here we are again. I don't believe this was a condemning moment. I don't believe he looked at her and said, you're right. You don't have a husband, and you had this many guys living with you, and the one you live with ain't your husband. I don't believe whatsoever that was the spirit of Jesus. I believe that God allowed that moment to take place, the opportunity to be seized. Because when he said that, she said, wow, you must be a prophet. She instantly knew that God knew exactly where she was. She knew that God cared about her life. It had nothing to do with condemning her for anything. And the question I guess I have been challenged with is, am I still enough, have I shut up long enough to allow the Holy Spirit to nudge me, to give me some direction, to give me some guidance so that I can speak into somebody's life? Something that may be, hey, look, this is weird, but go get your husband that I already know you don't have. Am I shutting up and sitting still long enough? Am I bowed down in, in praise and worship? Am I in tune enough with the Holy Spirit that in those moments, it was ordinary. He was on his way. He was on his journey. He was tired. He was thirsty. Give me something to drink, please, lady. And after she makes up her excuses, even in that moment, he allows himself to be nudged by the Holy Spirit to say, she needs something from you. And that was the doorway. She said, you must be a prophet. And what took place that day was she experienced this life change. And you read down a little bit further in the Gospel of John, and the lady that was ashamed to show up at the well that wanted the water so she didn't have to go back to the well is now running through the streets of Samaria spreading the Gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I met a man. I met a man that knew who I was. I met a man that knew what I had been through. I met a man that showed me compassion. I met a man that didn't judge me because I was different than he was. I met a man that even though I don't have nothing to offer, he still needed something from me. Worshiping through the streets of Samaria. So, there's three different people in this conversation. First of all, the Samaritan lady. Dried out, hopeless, tired, war slam out. Ashamed of what she's been through. Ashamed of the life that she's lived. Never experienced any sustainability. She knows what good water is. Good, cold, ice cold, deep water from down deep in that well. She knows what that is. And it's good, but it doesn't sustain. And then there's Jesus. If you can prove me wrong, I'm, there's nothing to prove. I'm just delivering this to you the way that I believe the Lord revealed it to me. I believe God gave us an example of Jesus in man form being used by the Holy Spirit to see this lady's life changed. As we journey on our normal routine, you're going to get up tomorrow morning and chances are you're going to go to work and you're going to drive the same way you always drive. Unless you're one of those people that change your path just so people can't follow you. You've got a handful of lunch options you're going to choose. You're going to go home and you're going to cook dinner. You've got a handful of dinner options you're going to choose. You're going to see the same people in your workplace. Are we allowing ourselves to be led by the example of Jesus? Are we allowing ourselves to be used by the Holy Spirit? Do we feel the simple, slightest little, hey, you should really say something to that person? Do we respond? And then there's the Holy Spirit. Because the, river, the, the living water that Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit. Because he said just a little bit later in John chapter 7, if you believe in me, out of his hearts will flow rivers of living water. Not sitting up, bound up, dammed up inside of us. But Jesus said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And John said, this is the spirit that he's speaking of. That day, Jesus gave that lady some living water. She had a life change. And when her life was changed, she didn't throw up the dam and she didn't block it up. But out of her heart, she walked through the cities that she was ashamed to walk, the streets of the city she was ashamed to walk through. 
She went to those people. I don't even, I, I almost think God's good enough that she went to some of those men that she had been shacked up with at some point in time and still said, listen, I got to tell you about a man named Jesus. It wasn't condemning, though. The lady was changed by the truth of who God is. The Word of God is true, and it's pure, and sin is sin, and truth is truth. I don't believe he condemned her when he made the comment, but he gave her the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, do we have the river? And if the river's put in us, have we got it dammed up? Will you come play something soft for me, please? The prophet Isaiah said, Isaiah 35, 6, he said, The lame will leap like a deer. The mute tongue will shout for joy, for waters will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The water dammed up inside of us brings freedom. Can you throw that picture of that dam back up there, please, sir? In the 1940s, this dam was built during World War II because there was not enough power to perform everything that they needed for the war. Two miles down from this dam is a powerhouse. And what has to happen is there's a flume over to the side that can't be stopped. Pipes, the pipes roll down the mountain. They go for two miles, that flow of that water. Builds up pressure. It builds up momentum, and it makes it to that powerhouse. And because of the flow of the water, power is produced and it took them through the time of war because of the power that was produced through the flow of the river. That's pretty good. I'm just saying. Because you and I in this time of war, when we stand before a brick wall, that feels like life wants to tell us no. We want to stay in our own routine. We want to stay on the path of every day. I'm tired, give me something to drink, get you a bottle of water, drink it, move on. You just got told Jesus is coming. And the facts are the facts that on the day that Jesus shows up, those that have been adopted into the kingdom get to go with him. Those that have not, read the book. If there has ever been a time of war, it's right now. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to sit down and shut up on delivering the gospel and trying to, to fulfill the mandate of ministering to people, allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. I'm not going to. Because if there's ever been a time that we as the church 
would stand up and shut up and allow the Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and direct and give us the simple small nudges to reach one lady sitting at a well. I'm not talking about showing up and getting thousands of people to fill up a conference center and preaching the word to them. I'm talking about through an everyday circumstance, Jesus reached one lady. And we watched out of her heart begin to flow the rivers of living water. When those rivers begin to flow, power was there. Authority was there. Shame was gone. Hopelessness was gone. She now had a new boldness to step on the streets that she wasn't willing to step on before. We keep it dammed up. We keep it dammed up with pride, selfishness. Inconvenience. Man, that's some sorry excuses. I'm just being honest. I told you, I've already preached it to myself. That's some sorry excuses to allow something that God's giving us. He's given us His Holy Spirit. So that when I come across somebody who's drinking from that same old well over and over and over and over, it's good. There's no doubt about it, it's good. But it does not sustain. And I walk by and I have an opportunity to allow the rivers to gush out of who I am. To allow the Holy Spirit to use me. Or I can say I'll take a cup of drink cup of water and I'll roll on. It's up to you. You've got the power and the authority within who you are. If they never opened the dam in 1996, all the work to form the river would have been useless. The money poured in. The people, there was a ridiculous number of volunteers that showed up to work that Olympic just those two events. All it was was canoeing and kayaking. See, God's formed a river. And he's purposely placed every rock, every obstacle, every bit of debris, every deep spot, every slow spot, every shallow spot, every rushing rapid that you've got to make it through. He's carefully placed every bit of it. until we open up the dam inside of us and let that river of living water flow out of us. I don't want to say we're useless to the kingdom. But we're pretty stinking close. It's not about you and I. It's about people being changed and lives being changed. Would you stand with me?